0: Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Stephen. And we're going to be talking about the 1972 film, The Godfather, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. But first, let's introduce ourselves. Stephen, what have you watched since the last time we recorded?
1: Um, well, in terms of movies, um, I saw The Taking of Pelham one 2, 3. It was the remake of the one that I'd seen a few years uh, Weeks ago, this is the one that had um, Denzel Washington and John Travolta. Um, and it was good. It was a little too violent. There was just violence for violence sake in some of that. And I was just like, they didn't really need this. And then John Travolta was super over the top, mm-hmm. so it was kind of hard to watch in parts. But Denzel Washington, always a treasure. He was always good. He always bring it. And uh, the second movie I saw was Poseidon. It was a remake of the Poseidon Adventure, and it came out in 2006, which was it sort of was there. It was very serviceable as a movie. Um, I've been watching some disaster movies lately, and that seemed to fit the bill with just like the, the technical stuff in there was amazing, though, um, mm-hmm. just the boat capsizing and people trying to escape. And it was it was pretty decent wow. as far as movies go. You're
0: all over those remakes of 70s <laughs> movies. Yeah. <Okay. laughs> so
1: what, it's usually what's usually what pops up you? on HBO? So I'm sorry. What,
0: what other 70s movies are, are there remakes of that you can go down that path? Of? I'm sure there's, there's like, like a million. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can't I think know, of any off, the... off the
0: top of my head, but I know they're out there.
2: Have you ever <laughs> seen the Psycho remake that they did with Vince Vaughn um, and Alicia? Yeah. That's from I the sixties. Oh, I, right? I, I did see that. I did see. I remember.
1: Yeah, not... wrong decade originally. Alicia. Who cares? Come
2: on. <laughs> no one cares. I
1: kind <laughs> of do want to see it again because I did hate it when I saw it. So, but I'm curious. But you can never find it that easily. They don't air it really because it was that bad. Yeah, it was really yeah.
2: Bad. It was really bad. It was
3: bad.
1: Yeah, Gus Van Sant's like, please don't show this.
3: Tonally, it just made no sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Alicia, how about you?
2: I actually, I was out of town this week and I really didn't watch anything other than The Godfather. So I, I read some books and I listened to some podcasts that I was really behind on and I just kind of took a break from TV and movies for the most part. So okay. that's it for me.
0: Well, after three weeks of not watching movies, we expect you to watch 20 before the next time we record. I know.
2: I just, there's just a life is like starting to happen again, <laughs> Boo, so it's, it's getting overrated. Hard, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we'll
4: work, I'll work
2: on it. I'll work on it. I'm uh, sorry. Stay home
4: more. <laughs>
0: you have homework. Uh, Laura, how about you?
4: Literally homework. Well, I was never going to doing homework, so good luck. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I watched
3: um, The French Connection. Nice. The 1971 movie by William Friedkin with um, Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider and um, with Papo Doyle. I'd never seen it before, so you mm. know that just there was so much like police brutality and entrapment, and you know these are very flawed cops, but it it's very gritty and it's extremely well done. It's a great film, there's this five minute um, chase scene Mm -hmm. that I've Mm -hmm. never seen anything like it. And I don't think I ever will again because there's no special effects, no CGI. It's just Mm -hmm. all real. Um, And in fact, I read up on it and it was so real that the filmmakers didn't even have the right permits and the (laughs) correct amount of crowd control. And they put lives in danger to make this film which is terrible but it's still it was i yeah it it puts the fast and furious movies to shame which i love and steven and i go to every time a new one comes out but this was something untouchable
0: yeah
1: yeah that sounds great but did the any part of the movie was a car actually swinging like Tarzan over a ravine. I see.
3: Like the Fast and
1: Furious movie. All right.
3: Okay. (laughs) I
1: mean, come on, you got to start somewhere though. (laughs) Isn't French Connection
0: really the first Fast and Furious movie?
3: Playing devil's advocate. I, you know, I think that I won't, dignify that with a response (laughs) (laughs) i love the fast and furious movies i you know i really do but this was this was something have you seen the
4: preview for the new fast and furious that's going to come out this summer Yes. yeah that's what i I was referring to oh okay yeah yeah with like the truck i'm i'm so excited to see it it looks absolutely bonkers and every time i see the preview i just picture like the production team being like so like what should we do next like what if the truck did like a 180 or 360 flip in the air blah 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 whatever yeah
3: they just get more and more ridiculous and all Mm -hmm. that i enjoy it it's just impossible
4: you know they're
0: like the flip side of the mission impossible movies which i watched
4: segue (laughs) yeah yeah we, we watched
0: we watched those
4: you can talk about the Mission Impossible movies. Okay. I'll talk about Censor.
0: Okay. Yeah, we we watched uh, Mission Impossible 3. Not me. Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. I watched Mission Impossible 3. Then we both <laughs> watched Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Mission Impossible Fallout. And uh, those movies are fucking great.
4: <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah.
0: I mean, they're, they're just like good, fun action movies. And they're just like es- excuses for big set pieces. And they're lots of fun. And whatever
2: There's it was a... kind
4: of like watching the general actually because yeah, it yeah. was just like this is insane he just like keeps getting back up and i'm like you totally would have died like 50 yeah. times in the first 10 minutes of this movie here
0: yeah and he's doing <laughs> crazy stuff that people shouldn't do if they are concerned is that about their which one safety. was
3: that in the third one
0: uh all of them he he all does he does increasingly crazy things in each movie like I, i'm pretty sure the next movie that they're working on now he goes to space for real Like I'm not joking. I'm not. I'm pretty sure that's the thing. That's the hook. Okay.
3: If you had to recommend one to someone who hasn't seen them, Mm -hmm. me, which one would? Which number?
0: Well, I. I mean, I think you got to start with the first one because that's the most standalone one. It's like
4: it won't make sense if you haven't seen them in order, Laura. (laughs) No, I mean, I really do
0: think like once you get to Rogue Nation, they are a continuous story, or or Mission Impossible Three really kind of starts it because it becomes about like. His backstory and him, you know, being all hung up on people getting killed around him and his lost love and stuff. And that's the reason that he's like obsessed with keeping everybody alive all the time and does crazy things. So, but I mean, you could just probably drop in and watch Rogue Nation or Fallout and just have a good time anyway. Just saying okay. so you know. right. I liked Rogue
1: Nation personally. That was yeah. my favorite of all of them. I yeah, really, really like that one. Fallout has Henry
0: Cavill cocking his his fists. <laughs> so, and then, yeah, it's, it's Yeah, you fun. can't beat that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, and then we watched
0: a movie called Censor, a British movie.
4: Yeah, which, which that movie was kind of freaky. It's, I guess, was it true, these movies, or was that made up? I wasn't sure. The what nasties.
0: No, video nasties are real. Video nasties. Were real.
4: Okay. I've never heard of these before, but I guess they're like just these really graphic, violent movies that are, are were incredibly popular in Britain and censors watch them to like say like, Oh, you can't gouge these eyes out or like this rape scene is excessive or whatever. And uh, so this woman works as a censor. And so she just watches these movies all day long, but her sister vanished mysteriously when she was a kid and so then she thinks she sees the her sister in one of the movies she watches where the plot is really similar to her last memories of her sister so then it goes into this she's trying to find the actress and trying to find the director and her parents are kind of just trying to convince her to give it up and in in the meantime uh she let she let a movie go through get approved that then someone watches and murders his wife inspired by that so like all of a sudden she has all this national attention on her it just kind of evolves into her losing her mind it was really gory so if you're not into yeah. that i would say don't watch it um i feel I like ask, they... is video sn- nasty like like a, a pseudonym for a snuff film
0: no, it's it's like the rise of exploitation horror and thriller films that came out in the uh, post VHS boom in Great Britain. Mm. It so was it's, kinda like, it's like Saw. Cheap exploitative mm. horror movies, yeah.
4: Yeah. Like Saw basically. Sure, but like I guess so. But like super low budget, like mm-hmm. it was like porn for violence, basically. But anyways, mm. I don't know. I feel like they were – it started off really good, and then I feel like they were trying to do this, like, bigger thing with her losing her mind that just, like, didn't quite land. Um, but I thought she was really good in it. The I don't know the actress's name, but she was really good. And, yeah. I don't know, though. It's – if you can't handle lots yeah, of blood yeah. and like people getting their heads axed open, I wouldn't rec- I also wouldn't recommend <laughs> watching it right before you go to bed on a Sunday night like we did. so
1: so why did you watch this again? <laughs> Jeremiah made yeah. me uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to watch
0: it for work. Um, oh okay uh, it, it, uh. as we're recording, it comes out on this coming Friday in a couple of days. Oh, yeah, right. But it'll be out so by
2: the time... to the
4: theater. It, yeah. yeah, see it on an even bigger I screen mean, in the movie theater. <laughs> it's probably
0: going to be easier to see it streaming for most people. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it might be out in New York. I don't know. We'll see. But it, it, I thought it was pretty good. It's not... It's not bad. I ever, just but.
4: would... It needs, like, a warning at the beginning, I think. Like, it's very gory, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. at least. Like, I don't watch a lot of those movies. I mean, the
0: poster is a woman holding an axe and covered in blood. So I think that's your warning.
4: I thought it was going to be more, like, just, like, a scary movie. But it wasn't scary. It was more just, like, gory. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Mm. There you go. And then, of course, Sex in the City. (laughs) (laughs) The continuing (laughs) saga. We'll finish it one of these days.
0: (laughs) Or will we? Uh, So for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight & Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made. That comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out in 2022. So we're basically using that as our prompt to watch some classic movies ahead of it. We invite listeners to take part in the discussions by watching along and sharing their opinions in our Facebook group, by emailing, or by leaving a voice message on our anchor.fm show page. And again, this time we're talking about The Godfather. But before we get into the history and background of the movie, what did each of us know about the movie going into this viewing? Who had seen it before? And if not, what were you expecting, if anything? And since Mia picked this one, why don't you start us off and tell us why you chose it?
4: So... I've seen this movie before I think this was probably my fourth or fifth time watching it um, and I've seen it at least once I think at bam um, on the big screen which was really a nice treat Um, and yeah I mean I love this movie I would definitely put it like in my top 10 favorite movies I just think it's such a classic Um, and I was excited to watch it this time you know I have a horrible memory for movie plots, so like not necessarily remembering a lot of the details of it, but knowing the basic story, and watching it just with like a different perspective of knowing that I was going to be talking about it with people. So, yeah, and it it did not disappoint.
1: There you go. And Stephen, how about you? um yeah i saw this movie um before so of course everybody's heard of the godfather before um i've seen it uh, i think i was in my early 20s when i just went through a period where i wanted to watch all the movies that were on the 100 films like that What was that? the afi, A-F-I list yeah. so i went through and watched a, a bunch of them and i remembered really loving it it's one of my favorite movies as well even though i've only seen it i think Yeah, I think I've only seen it once all the way through, but I've seen bits and pieces of it since then. Um, But it was really great to watch it again. It was reminded of why I like this movie so much, just in terms of the story itself and just the way that it's kind of acted, it's just really amazing. So I was happy to watch it again. And Laura?
3: Um, From a very young age, I would say around six or seven, uh, uh, this film was always on. Uh, I've probably seen it over a hundred times. At least, um, I think this movie. Um, what I what I know about it, um, aside from being great, was co-opted by first generation Italian Americans in the late seventies and eighties, specifically Sicilians, um, as kind of a birthright, a code, um, some basic tenets of how to be in family and how to behave, and. I believe, um, whether consciously or not, I was still showed this film over and over and over again, um, as sort of a blueprint on how to be.
0: Okay. And Alicia.
3: Um, yeah, this is my fourth
2: time, <clears throat> I think seeing this movie. Um, yeah, it's a good movie. I've always enjoyed it. It's very entertaining and yeah, that's, that's it. So I was, I was happy to watch it again.
0: Yeah, pretty much the same for me. Uh, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I lost track at some point. Uh, But I have the DVD box set, which, you know, I don't have a DVD player anymore, but I used to watch it a lot. Um, And I'm not sure if I've ever seen this first movie on the big screen like Mia did. I wish I had. I I would watch it on the big screen. No, I think I did actually once. I think uh, when AMC Empire uh, at Times Square first opened... And before they had the theater fully booked, they were showing some old movies. And I think I saw The Godfather there. But um, Laura, you had something else to add?
3: Yeah, um, one day uh, the Museum of Moving Image had a full day nonstop Godfather um, marathon. And I watched it there. Nice. Only once.
2: <laughs> was it on the really big screen? That big screen? Yeah, or the... it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was great. a full
3: day. It was like a super hot day. So it was like the perfect thing to do mm-hmm. inside. Nice. nice.
0: So, as I've often done on the show, I'm going to read from an entry in the Ultimate Encyclopedia of the Movies, which I got when I was in high school and I was first getting into movies. As always, the parts that may be more subjective aren't from me personally, but perhaps we can delve into those things as we get into our group discussion. Francis Coppola's Godfather saga adds up to simply the best gangster movie ever made a multi-Oscar-winning adaptation of Mario Puzo's best-selling novel about the Mafia, which examines with Shakespearean ambition the nature of power and corruption in the microcosm of an Italian-American family. Marlon Brando carried off the Oscar as the mumbling New York gangland boss Don Vito Corleone. Arguably, though, Al Pacino provides the film's best performance as his reluctant gangster son Michael, who rises to the top of the family on Vito's death, moving chillingly from shy, dubious youngster to calculating planner with a killer instinct. But this is an ensemble of great acting. Diane Keaton as Michael's love, Kay Adams, James Kahn as the bullish Sonny, and especially Robert Duvall as the quiet advisor Tom Hagen. This irresistible thriller, which also won Best Picture and Script for Coppola and Puzo, is long, complex, and compelling, mixing intense, intimate scenes of family business, with sudden, extravagant bursts of violence. And then this is back to me. Puzo's book had been a huge hit itself, but even before it was published in 1969, Paramount Pictures had optioned the story to adapt. Head of the studio, Robert Evans, apparently wanted someone of Italian descent to direct the film to give it a more authentic feel than previous mafia movies that hadn't fared well. Sergio Leone was the first choice, but declined. Eventually, it was offered to Coppola, who first declined because he didn't like the material. But he ultimately took the job due to various financial and professional concerns he needed to overcome. Coppola struggled with the studio throughout the process and had to fight to get the cast he wanted, with many of the studio choices not really living up to the supposed desire of Robert Evans to make the movie feel authentically Italian-American. The film premiered in March of 1972 and went on to become a huge hit, becoming the highest-grossing movie of the year in North America, and even displacing Gone with the Wind to become the highest-grossing film of all time, a title it held until Jaws overtook it in 1976. Most of the critical reception of the time was also good, though there were detractors, and besides its Oscar wins for Best Picture, Actor, and Screenplay, it was also nominated for Best Director, Costume Design, Editing, Sound, and Original Dramatic Score, while three members of the cast were nominated for Best Supporting Actor, James Caan, Robert Duvall, and Al Pacino. The other big winner at the Oscars that year was Cabaret. In 1998, AFI listed The Godfather as the third best American movie of all time, behind Citizen Kane and Casablanca. And when that list was updated in 2007, it overtook Casablanca to land at number two. It's of course also been on plenty of other lists and is often cited as among the most influential movies ever made. As for our purposes, in the 2002 Sight & Sound magazine poll, in tandem with its sequel, part two it was named the fourth greatest film of all time by critics while the two films together were named the second greatest film of all time by directors and on its own it was named the sixth greatest film of all time by directors in 1992 and the seventh greatest in 2012. Mia since this was your pick why don't you start us off with your thoughts on the film did it live up to your expectations or memories?
4: It definitely lived up to my expectations and memories. Um, If anything, it was even better than I remembered it, which is always so nice to have that happen. Um, One random thing that I remembered reading about earlier when you were reading about the directors. So Coppola was the 12th director that they interviewed for this, which is just like so crazy. But like, I can't believe they went to all these other people. And I think the second person or somewhere in their early, their short list was um, Peter Blagojevich. Who, if am I saying... Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich, yes, sorry. I don't know where I came up with that. (laughs) Who... I think
0: you were thinking of the ex-governor of Illinois. (laughs) Yeah, something.
4: Who plays dr melfi's therapist in the sopranos and he turned it down because he said he didn't want to be associated with the mafia movie and i was mm. like oh it's so funny that then he plays this like small but like you know i feel like if you know you know like role in the sopranos so anyways i just wanted to put that in here um but yeah i mean i just think the movie's so good like all the acting is incredible i think al pacino is amazing Um, It is kind of crazy to me that he was nominated for supporting actor. I would put him in lead. Um, I didn't realize that three different people were nominated for supporting. That's just wild. Um, Yeah, like I think the story is so good. I think there's just so many different angles. You can look at it from like power and corruption, like you said there. Um, The whole split between like what's business and what's family. Um, The role of women in the story, which I want to talk about more later. Um, just like the cultural impact which I'm so curious like Laura I feel like you have probably a lot of thoughts on that so I'm excited to hear like you're more like pers- thoughts <laughs> okay. just a few maybe
1: <laughs> Um,
4: but yeah I just think it's like it's such a classic movie and I really I don't have a lot of faults with it I just think it's like it's just it feels like eating like a really good italian meal you're just like i'm just <laughs> so emotionally filled by this film so yeah
0: okay and elisa how about you
4: um, yeah this
2: movie always lives up to my expectations it's just it's immensely entertaining it's just you kind of can't take your eyes off of it the whole time it's on there's not a boring scene in the whole thing um yeah, and pretty much, I mean, I think it does have some failings as far as the treatment of women and and some some of the impact it's had on some culture. But um, but yeah, I mean, just the film itself, it, yeah. I mean, everything you already pretty much said, Mia, like is an exploration of like the immigrant experience and the first generation American experience and how power corrupts and how power can be, you know, used like softly or it can be used like really in your face and who's good at wielding power and who isn't and yeah. who deserves it and who doesn't. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just really good, it was, it was really cool to kind of watch it with a critic, a more critical eye this time, because in the past I've always just kind of watched it and just, you know, enjoyed it for like the mm-hmm. spectacle, I guess. Um, so this time I was like looking for more, like, <laughs> what is he trying to say? So it was, it was fun to do that. Um, and, yeah, I, I, it definitely lives up to my expectations always.
1: And Steven? Um, so, yeah, it did live up to my expectations, definitely. It is, um, again, like one of my favorite movies. The only downside to the time that's gone by since I saw it the first time was there were so many movies that came out in the interim and also The Sopranos has come out. So the way that they've structured a lot of those movies are based, of course, on this movie. So the the way that the characters are portrayed are, are also characters that I've seen in other movies and other television shows. So um, the power was still there because you did see where it kind of originated from this movie. So. Um, I did just enjoy the performances a lot. I liked how the characters did evolve and they actually seemed to look older as time went on. I thought that Al Pacino was great since he looked so fresh faced at the beginning of the movie. And then toward the end, you just saw the weight of everything that he had gone through and it was just seen on screen. And it's the same with everybody else. It was kind of portrayed in that movie. It was just kind of an amazing thing to watch as you went through. Um, my favorite aspects of the movie this time were kind of like the father and son aspects and and family aspects more than anything else. It just sort of, you know, even though he felt like he was, uh, like Don Corleone, Vito felt like you know he was the godfather. He wanted more for his son than kind of like this world which was kind of interesting because you feel like he's on the top of the world for that. But he still wanted more for his son than what he has been doing. And I thought that was interesting. I, I don't think I had remembered that when I had originally watched it. But overall, there's just so much in this movie to unpack. It's almost hard to to crack that. So um, but yeah, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Yeah. And Laura.
3: Uh well to quote foreigner every time I watch this, <laughs> it feels like the first time. Um, it's just an incredible film. But what I what I realized this time is the genius of this film is that it makes the viewer feel like they're smarter than they are. Or maybe not, <laughs> maybe people are really smart, but it has this way of cluing you in to the back, the like, the the mechanisms and the strings, um, the puppeting, without overstating anything, so that you catch all of the the hints as you're supposed to catch them, and you're alive with the film, and you're figuring out um, the strategies as the characters are, and it's just an incredible. I don't think I've ever seen anything or will ever see anything like that again.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of piggyback on that then, because I think what you're describing is absolutely true, and I think it's accomplished in so many ways. First of all, the way the movie opens with this this family gathering, this huge, important event for this family, and it's like you're there as as a... As, an invited guest or something. So you immediately feel like you're part of this family. And I think that's so key to the success of the film and of the storytelling because they want you, Coppola and everybody involved, they want you to be on the side of these characters who objectively are doing terrible things, but you are rooting for them. And that's like the power of the movie. And I'm obviously not the first person to say that. Like that's what it's known for, that you're rooting for these criminals. And
3: they're not only criminals, they're racist, mm-hmm. wife beating, sure you know,
0: all of that. yeah, Closed
3: minded, you know, but yes, but the, the, the filmmaking
0: all puts you on their side and basically Absolutely. makes you complicit. And I think it goes beyond that to kind of expand and as as uh, you were saying earlier, Mia, and I guess the the sum up from that book also says like the uh it's it's about the dynamics of power and it's like a microcosm. Of America, essentially, um, in this family, and especially post-war America, I think, and um, the way the world was starting to form and develop in the wake of that, you know, world-shattering, world-altering event, especially for America, who comes out as like, you know, the world power, one of the major world powers after that, and this family you know, is going to benefit from that in some ways. Um, yeah. So
3: the way the film makes it, it's either they benefit or they get, or they're the fool. Right. You know? And I think that that's true.
2: They're fully corrupted by the power by the end. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. it starts off. I mean, not that it, not that the mafia is a great thing to start off with, but it starts off in this kind of like well-meaning way, but by the end it's like, it's, it's, fully corrupted he's a fully corrupted person by the end of the mm-hmm. film
3: yeah. Capitalism. there's no of question i i think it was more just trying to i think as a viewer you completely understand the decisions that lead him to there i i yeah. suppose
2: yeah i agree yeah
4: well i think the whole like okay you know the central conflict starts because they because corleone does because Vito doesn't want to get involved in the narcotics and you know sunny and other people on their in their family are like this is the future we have to do this if we're not going to do it someone else is just going to and then you know everything spills out from there so i feel like there's also the like do you keep doing the same stuff that you've been doing which is like less harmful with like the gambling or you know more small level things or do you go into the future and this more unprecedented like bigger rewards but obviously also bigger risk and potentially alienating all these you know the political people they have in their pockets and stuff like that
0: right and and i think that that is also indicative of how this movie is a microcosm of the american experience in the history of that time of before the war plenty of people were like we don't want to be you know the the power that's running the world. We just want to be ourselves and stay over here, divided by an ocean from everybody else, and then we come out of the other side of this with, uh, you know, being the cop of the world, and the Cold War starts. And I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's a GI who is going to take this family into the future, the same way that the GI Bill is like such an important part of the post-war world in America and the building of the middle class and everybody's uh, boats rising at the same time. And uh, I think that- Well, not everybody's, Well, you you know, I know, not everybody's. (laughs) White people's. Yeah, the white middle class um, having upward mobility. And not that this family needs upward mobility, but like there is a generational shift and they're also fooling themselves at the same time that they can go legit and there's all that stuff at play as well.
3: I would say that I never put that um I never put that thought together the GI aspect I always just thought it was a, the demonstration of of this person fighting against his family and not wanting to be that as much as his dad didn't want him to be and having all these mm-hmm. fighting for his country and feeling like he was a true american and 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 then Know embracing it all and owning it, and then just transforming um, into a very ruthless killer, yeah, but a very smart and you know enjoyable one to watch (laughs) and really hot at the same time. So, (laughs) there was that Um, too.
2: I was just gonna say it comes out at an interesting time, too. Um, like in 1972, you've had like America's gone through the 1960s and the sort of first generation, uh, to really, really push back against, um, you know, like a war, uh, and to be like, not very, I don't want to say they weren't patriotic, but they weren't patriotic in the traditional sense of like, just whatever the, whatever the president, whatever the military is doing, like we're going to do it. They weren't blindly patriotic. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's also like a very violent movie. So you've you've gone through this whole thing where you've watched Vietnam like happen on TV, and then you get all these movies like this, and like Bonnie and Clyde, and mm-hmm. and um, and it's really exposing like the dark underbelly of like um, the American dream and this like pursuit of wealth and power. That's a really good point.
1: Well, well, at the same time, there's definitely an internal logic to how the the mafia is run. So you sort of knew what to expect. So when people were actually killed, it was sort of like, it was sort of known that this was kind of the repercussions for it. And it kind of goes against, you know, the, the revolution that we're having in the country where everything is so chaotic. This was just sort of a way to compartmentalize things. And you kind of knew, you know, families first or, you know, don't talk out of turn. There were certain things and certain rules that they applied to that that mm-hmm. made sense for people. And I feel like that probably was part of the appeal of the movie. It was just like it made its own internal logic as twisted as it was. Right.
0: I find it so weird almost that the studio wanted it to be set in the 70s when it came out.
4: And in Kansas City. Too. Yeah, that too. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, there's a lot of mob. No,
4: in I know there though. is, but I don't know. It's yeah. just. I, it, they even mention
3: their Kansas City um, right. yeah. compatriots. I wonder
0: were- if that's just about. Cheaper to shoot in Kansas or something. Well, I maybe, think they than... were just going to shoot it on back lots <laughs> right. too.
4: Like, they don't even think, I mean, yeah. maybe, like, some scenes sure. there. But I think. they wanted to use that Wizard of Oz set again. <laughs> yeah.
1: Get some mileage out of it. <laughs> but
0: I, I definitely think it would have been a completely different movie and, I mean, probably a failure of a movie if they'd set it in the then modern day of, of the early 70s or, or the late 60s when the book came out um Mm -hmm. what what does anybody think of that
3: this movie is such a its own creature and and it's almost living alive to me that i couldn't imagine in any other setting or time personally
2: yeah i agree i think it's just i think it's perfect the way it is i i have no idea what it would have looked like to have taken place in the 60s and 70s and i think that the i think the mob's power not that they didn't still have power at this time, but like, I think the power, it made more sense to show that generation coming back from World War II, butting up against that really old world generation, which you only have if you sort of start the story. I mean, I know we don't get there till Godfather part two, but you have to kind of start the story in like the tenements in New York, you know, in the late 19th century. I think that, I just think it makes more sense.
1: I was just going to add uh, just about the drug uh... The drug business, that would be very difficult to Mm -hmm. have in the 70s just because, yeah, we're in the middle of counterculture and doing psychedelics.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, and I think Alicia was kind of saying this, the the second part and the third part start to move towards that time period. And and, I mean, especially for the third part, then it's looking back, so it is period piece again. But I I think you don't get that same uh, historical and like epic thrust that you get from the movie starting post-World War Two and then building up to, I believe the third one ends in the eighties, but I'm not, I can't,
3: it's
4: been I've, a never while I've never one. seen the third one. Me neither. Yeah. Me neither. Love
3: if we don't even talk about that.
4: <laughs> now I feel like we have to, though, since we're going to see the second one at some point. Do. Just as like an extra extracurricular uh, Well, Well, uh, I know
0: that last year, I think, they put out a new cut mm-hmm. of the third one, mm-hmm. uh, Godfather Coda, that's mm-hmm. supposed to be a little better. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I think the third one is like, it's an okay movie. It's just when it's, stacked up against the first two installments of the godfather it definitely doesn't live up and of course it came out the same year as goodfellas and Mm, you know that one i think kind of blows it away too but
4: yeah so so one thing that i thought about is so michael has gone you know they call him college kid and stuff so i'm assuming he went to college and then he is this war hero but he's also clearly like the most intelligent, the most strategic one of his siblings. Um, why, why would he be like, so was it just that Vito is like, you're the best. So I want you to get out.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. Or like, mm-hmm. I don't the know. Best, it's just,
3: but... <laughs> I don't think the best is the, I think you, forgive me for jumping in.
4: No, no, uh, no, it's fine. It's just, or like, you know, you would think he wouldn't want to leave. Because I assume before that that, you know, Sunny is who's the heir to the throne. And I mean, maybe he just hoped like he'll get older, he'll mature, he'll calm down a bit. And, you know, he'll have good people around him, et cetera, et cetera. But is that what he would think? Or, you know, would he be like, Sonny, you go off and do some other stuff and become legit and all this. But Michael, you're the one. And I want you to continue our family's legacy. Well, if, if you don't mind me,
3: me interjecting. My thoughts are: um, an Italian man's firstborn is just has to be, you know, do what the father does in that period of time. Um, I don't think he had any uh, delusions about the fact that Sonny wouldn't be good at it, and that he was extremely hot-headed, and there would always be struggles there. Tom wasn't blood-related, so he could, and not Sicilian, so he could never take on something like that Fredo was stupid and weak the worst we, we all know and then you know Connie woman second class and then we have Michael who's this you know beautiful perfect smart and then you know and they talk about it they talk about Petsonavente or or how do you say vente? like he wanted him to be a big shot pulling mm. the strings you know like stuff like that they talk about it later on
0: could have been Senator Corleone or President right. Yeah, Governor. I think that's, I think
3: that yeah. might be in the second one.
0: No, that's in the um, it's in this one. It's
3: in the first one. Yeah, yeah. I mean they they see the, the the term twice. It's, you know, and I think that's in his mind. He had the delusion, like, even though he did what he had to do and he made no apologies, he still kind of hoped that his son would potentially go on to something like that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think Vito and Michael kind of both over the course of especially these two movies for, for Michael, uh, suffer the same delusion that the mafia and this life is a means to an end. They think that this is the way they build their power so that they can then launch out a legitimate version of the family and therefore the power that they have that isn't corrupted. And that's what the movies are about is that, like, yeah, you can't, you can't just build out of it in that way. It's too easy to just be stuck in that morass of immorality and not be able to get clear of it.
3: Well, I think the second one explores how much more of a, you know, how much more the political stuff is just as dirty and corrupt, Mm -hmm. but they, they all have these sheen shiny exteriors where it's supposedly um, God fearing and doing the right thing when they're even worse as we see in the second one, which, um, which we should, we should have watched them.
4: Back to back.
3: <laughs> well, I did just because I watch these movies all the time. So It's
2: interesting to like from the very beginning of the movie, you can see that like Michael is kind of like the favored one just in terms of his father's probably like favorite, not necessarily favorite to take over the, the family business. But like he won't take the wedding picture with the family. Mm-hmm. He, he's like, I'll oh, wait till Michael. We <laughs> Wait till Michael's here. And it's not like someone go get Michael. It's like, we'll wait till Michael gets here and then we do it so it's like they're waiting for him instead of anyway i thought that was yeah, interesting
3: yeah. and yeah. No, it's a perfect example of that yeah That's, it tells you who he is in the family and what he means to to Vito
4: and yeah. no one gives him any shit for i assume k is not italian or sicilian so no. and no one ever says boo about that um which i just thought was kind of ridiculous because isn't there There's someone else who like oh one of the favors at the beginning is like the daughter's not even dating a Sicilian and you know it's like obviously, oh, be- yeah. oh yeah yeah I mean I, I, that's a recurring theme that comes up a few times in the film yeah I just was I was like is that someone in the family but anyways it's like but no one says anything about her I presume at least not being Italian
3: well, then there's also Tom Hagen who's not Italian so I think for this film as well there's um, a little more leniency, a little bit.
0: Sure. But I, I think he's always going to have his place, his role. Right. He can't exactly. step too far outside of. Like maybe he can mm-hmm. expand it a little, but he's he's the help in a way. You know, mm-hmm. even though he is treated to some degree like a son or raised like a son, apparently, um, he is also sent off to college so he could become the lawyer and keep, yep. you know, take care of assumedly Sonny, when Sonny is Mm going to be the heir.
1: But I mean, to that point though,
0: I I think it's also that Vito doesn't think it's going to happen when it does, obviously like this all kind of sneaks up on him in a way. Like he thinks that there's going to be more years to try to push Sonny towards a better understanding of how to run things and, you know, cool his temper and all that. So you know the events of this movie are the thing that interrupts his plans for all his kids essentially yep yeah well
4: it was just reminding me too of the sopranos because there's no i mean who knows what happens at the end but there's no clear air out of tony's kids like aj is such Mm -hmm. trash there's no way meadow is going to do this you know christopher (laughs) i will say that i've boycotted
3: the sopranos personally i refuse to watch it um, I've seen enough mob films <coughs> and enough Italian men doing mob things that I don't mm. need it in my life. But sure. I respect the people that are fans, and I, sure, I really, sure. and I understand that it's a great show.
0: I mean, yeah, I, me too. Not to like yeah. stick up for it, but I, I do think Sopranos is, it's very meta in a way where it's it knows where it is in the history of depictions of the mob, and it's like very much about people who are. Doing what you were saying at the start of the podcast, Laura, of people who are modeling themselves on The Godfather, and
3: exactly, yeah, and
0: so I I think there's there's an aspect of Sopranos, of The Sopranos, that is sort of satirical in a way, in in addition to like the actual drama of the show
4: Um, and
3: glorification.
4: Sure, I don't. don't... You can't have that stuff without glorification. No, but it's like everything in. I'm saying no to Jeremiah, not no to you, Laura. But it's like everything in The Godfather. You can say no to me. (laughs) Well, no, but it's like, oh, in The Godfather, like, yeah, like women aren't treated, you know, per our standards of today. In The Sopranos, they're treated like such trash. Like, I feel like everything in The Godfather, The Sopranos took to like the nth degree. And obviously they had like many, many seasons and more subplots and all of this stuff to do that with. But like oh, there's drugs in The Godfather. There's drugs in The Sopranos. Like, yeah, I don't need that in my yeah. life. I if, I you, if you didn't people. get enough of that, and I mean, I love The Sopranos. Like I've seen the whole series twice. I think it's a great show. I get totally though. If you're like, I'm good, it's not for you. If you want- I love the yeah.
3: actors. I love Lorraine Bracco. I love James Galnafini. I'm, I'm sure it's a great show. Yeah, it's just- Edie Falco. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, Edie. Queen. Oh my God, I love her.
1: Queen. De Mateo. I
3: love them. Yeah. yeah.
4: I just
0: don't want to watch that fucking show. Stevie Van Sant. Disgusting.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I will admit, we quote The Sopranos a lot around this household here.
1: (laughs) You should watch it, Alicia. i
4: start i've started it a couple
2: times and just never been able to get very far with it i don't know why Mm. it's i'm not like i'm not really like westerns that mafia things are not something that i'm like drawn to i mean i love i like the godfather but it's Mm. not like a movie that i'm gonna sit around and like watch in my spare time probably Mm. unless like i get the mood on like for that but
4: like Okay, it's so no space, thing. no westerns, no, westerns. <laughs> no. The- the- loss, yeah. Alicia, let yeah. me
2: ask you a question. The British mystery. <laughs> Would you say it
4: was the
3: violence in the films that you that that you have a distaste for? What, what, do not, you wanna-
2: It's not a distaste. It's really not a distaste. It's just not something that, like, if I'm sitting around thinking, like, what's something I feel like learning about, it just doesn't pop into my head that, like, is some is this the thing for me to like explore. It just doesn't it doesn't have like a, a really like mystique or something around it for me. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I understand it and I don't feel like I want to delve into like that world super far. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Cool. But I, I mean what you're saying kind of I think describes what the power of the Godfather is that it sort of transcends mob movies and crime movies and it becomes a whole other thing, like this epic sweep of An American family that happens to be those other things as well Mm -hmm. so I mean is that why you gravitate towards this while you might not gravitate towards other crime or mob movies
2: well I mean this comes with a reputation I mean Mm -hmm. it came out before I was even born and was like this huge critical (laughs) and cultural smash like you know you have to you have to see this movie to understand the references in that—not even just in other crime or in other mafia movies, just in like sitcoms—and I mean, it's, it's a cultural juggernaut. So there's always like a curiosity for the for the Godfather. Uh, it you know as just a film on its own, regardless of what it what it was really about. But I mean, yeah, like I've already said, like I do think it's a great movie, and I really enjoy watching it. Every time I watch it, I'm always I always enjoy it. But mm-hmm. mafia movies, just in general, mafia stuff is not like mm. something that I would gravitate to. But mm. but I like this. I like Goodfellas. I liked Casino. Donnie was Bras- that a mafia movie? Yeah, yeah, I think that,
1: yeah. Donnie Brasco.
2: Don- I saw Donnie Brasco Yeah, I've I've pretty much all of those other movies. I've only seen like one time, except for Goodfellas. Um, I've seen that a couple times and I like them all but I've never been I've never felt the need to like watch them again
1: mm-hmm.
2: I don't know I don't mean that in a critic I don't mean that like to criticize people that do like them or anything because I do
0: dare you You're fired. I do yeah, think it's like <laughs> a
3: valid all, genre yeah, that's yeah.
2: Fine.
0: you're allowed to like and not like whatever
3: yeah
4: <laughs> damn it
0: so mia you had a question for everybody i think uh do you want to go to that
4: sure so my question is very simply what did everyone think about the portrayal or the way that women are portrayed in this film and to me i just as i was watching it like i just feel like i really focused on that this time and especially we we re-watched the sopranos in the last couple of years and again like I said a minute ago you know The Sopranos had however many seasons to unspool different characters and really go deep into them and this is merely a three-hour movie but and not that women are like treated so well or you know I could talk about how women are in The Sopranos too for a really long time but they just have a much more complex backstory at least like the main like The wives i would say not so much the girlfriends um my point is watching this movie again i couldn't help but compare it to watching the sopranos and how women are portrayed in that which is not necessarily relevant for my question since not everyone here has seen the sopranos so we don't have to go down that that was just my framing of it in my head of in that most of the main female characters are given like pretty rich backstories they have their own internal tensions and things and in this I just felt like the women were so one dimensional even though you know especially with Connie so much of what is happening to her is really what's driving the plot forward like Sunny doesn't get murdered which then sets a whole chain of events off if her husband wasn't beating her um and you know he wasn't betraying the family and stuff and you know to me Apollonia like does she even speak in the movie like she's just this very like empty vessel like hot Sicilian girl and then especially for Diane Keaton who I love and I think she's really good in this movie but she's also just like this very simplistic character to me. And maybe I'm missing something. So I want to hear everyone's thoughts on this.
1: I just wanted to add, um, and this was going to be Jeremiah's question that he's coming up later. I forgot that his mother was actually still alive. So it was kind of interesting Mm -hmm. that like she was at the wedding. Mm -hmm. And you never really, I didn't even know. I just assumed she was off camera, but she was actually there. So just like, what kind of relationship did he even have with his mother, like Michael or or even the other children? Well, she becomes a plot point in the second one, too. Yeah. Okay, we're not but there it, yet, so, though, and I haven't say, seen the yeah.
4: second one in quite some time, so I don't remember yeah. it, so let's stick. Okay. No, but it
1: was just, yeah, if we're just going to the confines of this movie, it's just like we'd never really got any mm-hmm. kind of agency from her at all, or or we didn't have, see what the effect of, you know, any of the children that she had, like, why is Fredo this way? We just see the father's side of it. We never see um, just the other aspects of the family, and I she's would, just a major part of it, I think go ahead i would
3: disagree isn't this the movie where she's telling sunny not to interfere when carlo is telling connie to shut up yeah i think that we do see that she's purposefully um allowing like um and sort of taking this role she's owning it because that's what you're supposed to do like uh, i suppose
0: wife who sits back and
3: I based, think there's dimensions uh, there. Yeah. You know, she takes care of the baby. Like when Connie's crying, she's like, "I can't hear you." The baby's crying. You know, she's just. Mm. Yeah. I th- I think that that is a, f- a kind of a fully realized character in and of itself. Mm. Um, I do think I see what you're saying, Mia, and I'm sorry if I um, I, I'm, I just wanted to know what your thoughts were in terms of this film, and I get the idea that these are one-dimensional characters, but I think for the the time, I think this, a lot of, it made sense for the film and there was so much lacking that I came to a realization personally that I tend to watch these films, Godfather one and two, from a man's perspective. Yeah. Whereas I just completely just, you know, and it's horrible actually, but I, for some reason, in order for me to, um, rec you know reconcile the way these women are treated because it's it's not what good throughout the entire film that I just have to try and shift my perspective so that's sort of what I sort of after I, you know I got your question today that's sort of what I realized because it's awful
4: yeah same thing with me too like because I think you sympathize so much with these characters, which means you sympathize with the male characters because right. you don't really, I mean, of course, I don't think anyone would watch this and like not sympathize with Connie. Like, you know, it's then and well, now, kinda, not
3: really some of the, you know, some of the things I, and I, I'm, it's horrible, but she does instigate him in a way that is going to create. It, 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 I, this is so offensive and so awful, but there's a way that you can avoid getting beaten and then a way that you Will ensure that you're about to get beaten up, in this kind of lifestyle. I just, I know, I think with I've seen the, it.
0: The story and the family and the world that they're in. I, I think Laura's right.
3: It's horrible that I'm even saying these things, and that's how I watch this film. And I, and it's not okay, but it's it's still truthful.
0: Well, I mean, I think that these depictions are deliberate. I think that they're supposed to be women who know their place, so to speak, in this world. Like, they're supposed to be obedient to the men in their lives. Like, that's that's their role in this family. Like, that's not that's not an uh, endorsement of that as being the right way for anyone to be. That's just, like, what this movie is depicting. And, and I, I think that goes for the mother. I think that she's very much, like, she's there to raise the kids and look after the family. And part of that is her saying, like, stay out of that family, Sonny, because uh, she has to listen to her husband just like I listened to your father. Um, again, not saying that that's correct, but that's that's to them correct in this movie. And, and as for Kay, I think that uh, – I think this only takes you so far. But I think to some degree, especially at the start, she's sort of an audience surrogate of mm-hmm. somebody that you can sort of – she's your way into this family. It's like she's the – the outsider who can ask questions so that people have to answer it on screen and you kind of get brought into the world a little more and then i mean she continues that role to some degree throughout the movie when she's in it um and of course then becomes like you know the 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 uh counterweight to michael in a way that that he has to sort of overcome and and she's your way of like realizing oh shit i got drawn into this and now i'm I'm being sort of like suckered by it or something in the same way that she is at the end
2: well that's kind of almost exactly what i was gonna say <laughs> it's just that the only one that we really see the only female character that we really see any of their inner life is Kay, or really see like a real opinion about <clears throat> the wider events. i mean connie's towards the end when her husband gets killed comes in strong and has opinions about the way michael's running things but up to that point it's it's her story is kind of only incidental to like the the bigger thing whereas kay is is the audience surrogate and she is someone that that is coming in to this with um a different take than and than all the other female characters she's not she doesn't want to take it she doesn't want her husband to be in this world she she doesn't want to she doesn't want to think of um, Michael doing business in this way or behaving in this way, whereas every all the other women just kind of accept it. It's what they've been in their entire lives, so.
4: Well, and I think, too, that to me, the, the, the part that stretches it for me with her character is when Michael comes back from being in Sicily for however long he's been there and, like, basically just, like, shows up. And I'm just like, yeah. you haven't seen him in however long you just, like you know, after like some small protests, like agree to marry him, even though he's clearly like has changed so much and is not the person that you were with before. So that was just kind of frustrating for me. And then I think in terms of like Connie and her husband, and what you were saying earlier, Laura, like, you know, he manufactured that scene, right, in order to get Sonny to come. So I don't think it was really like her role in it one way or the other. Like, I think he was going to move forward with his plan, whether that day or another day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there was really much she could have done, at least from my perspective.
3: That's a very good point. also, I you know the thing about Kay and it, the fact that he just shows up out of nowhere and she just goes with him. I think the idea potentially is at that time, what were her options as a, this teacher, and you know it I think we're just supposed to go with it but it was it's it's a tough scene to swallow for sure
2: well i think she does love him but i also think that um that yeah like you know at that time like
1: women didn't want to become spinsters and you Mm -hmm. know
3: they couldn't even have their own Uh, bank account yeah
2: right
1: yeah yeah well also that like i feel like she still is naive and she does just kind of swallow whatever he says because even in the beginning when he tells that story about offer they can't refuse she sort of was like oh did that really happen like she just doesn't seem to to buy it so like I think that she's just kind of naive. yes uh, yeah that's a good way to put it because I feel like she does have blinders on and even at the end when she asks him like you know did you do this and she's so quick to be like oh I knew that it wasn't true (laughs) does she really believe it you know in the the shock on her face I wasn't really I didn't buy that myself but maybe she didn't buy it either and That's why she acted like that. I
2: think she just doesn't want to believe that that he could do these things, even though she obviously
4: would have to accept that. She's from New Hampshire. She's naive. You yeah.
1: Know. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? Just say, just say.
4: When right. I was just re-watching a little bit of it, I was like, "This also bothered me because does she have a job? Like, doesn't she have a reason why she should be staying in New York besides this relationship?" Jeremiah reminded me that it's Christmas, so maybe it was just like the holidays. Yeah, and she's she in was a hotel. going how, home. How
3: beautiful did this movie portray Christmas in New York? Sure. Mm. It wasn't that something. Fifth it Avenue. Just, yeah. yeah.
0: I, so. I just wanted to say on on the Connie front, I also think that back to the wedding like that whole thing is basically presented as an excuse for everyone to show up and honor her father you know so her wedding day isn't even hers like so i think that goes back to the point of these women are just sort of accessories to the men around them whether they're husbands fathers or brothers who are like important in the family yeah.
4: yeah and i get that like it was a different era and that yeah there was different expectations for women in society at that time and probably even especially within this culture at the time too. And I think, you know, even in more modern days, modern day portrayals, it still is like, yeah, there's this clear separation of your business life and then your family life. And you just don't talk about those things. Like Tony Soprano is not coming home and telling Carmela like all about his day out, like <laughs> killing people. Yeah, and I just stuff. feel like the
3: Sopranos is just such a different animal. I just than this movie I really do
0: well you haven't seen it
3: (laughs) but I just it's I just don't it's just such a it's it's so many years later you know yeah but I think
4: some stuff is still the same in it so and what I'm saying is that it's I understand why they portrayed the women as like very separate in this because I think that is accurate both for like the time overall in general whether whatever his you know cultural background you had but I think probably especially if you're work involves you know unsavory illegal elements you're not exactly like coming home and talking about it yeah so but it was just Mm. hard for me on this viewing to watch like how little space there was for women
0: yeah i I mean not to go too far down the sopranos path here but like I, i do think in that that show with the women is largely about how they aren't like the women in the godfather like they are struggling with being good mob wives while also being modern women of the late 90s and early 2000s and like, you know, kind of breaking out of those um, paradigms. So I, I think that that's another way that The Sopranos really plays on the tropes that The Godfather largely helped to set up for the modern mob movie. Mm-hmm. But again, I think The Sopranos is like a direct descendant and so much of it is just like built off of the foundation that The Godfather set even though it does explore differences based on when it takes place obviously but um yeah again not to go too too far into so the many, But
3: so many things have sure this launched like so many imitations or in, in interpretations and.
0: yeah but i i mean i think it's hard to deny that the sopranos is one of the more successful ones who that's done it since then okay whether you've seen it or not. I mean, it's one of the more influential shows or stories out there. But um, yeah, anyway, uh, are there other aspects of the movie, like the craft of the movie or anything that we want to get into before moving on to anything else?
3: I mean, obviously the editing, the scene of the the murder of the five families juxtaposed Mm -hmm. with the, the the baptism. You know, I think that is something that's... Just incredible,
0: right? And that Nina, uh, what is it? Nina Rota or Nino Rota? I, I always forget what what the Did like. Did Nina Rota do this? Nino. Yeah, Nino Rota did the score yeah. for this. Mm. Um, yeah. Although I think Coppola's dad also worked on it. And, he did. Uh, un- I didn't
3: know that. Yeah, he His worked. His father on it was some. a
2: composer,
1: right? Yeah. Hmm.
0: All right. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and ask my question then especially after talking about it, I think this is true. I think this is the movie that we're collectively the most familiar with so far that we've talked about on this podcast. Um, So with that said, and I think um, people have kind of alluded to this already in what they've talked about so far, like I think that allows you to notice things more because you've seen it so often that you can kind of just like delve into different parts that you haven't really paid attention to. So I'm curious, if anybody had something like that that they wanted to call out, like Steven said, about um, noticing that, oh, yeah, that mother's alive in this movie. she's even though she doesn't make <laughs> such a such an impact. You'd kind of forgotten that she was. So does anybody else have something like that that they noticed this time around that stuck with them?
2: Um I think this this the Sicily stuff um had a bigger impact on me this time. I think I was watching it. I mean i obviously like i didn't forget that it had happened or anything but like i kind of always thought it was like oh just this thing that he's like he has to just do and kind of get through and mm-hmm. and obviously like the apollonia stuff happens and affects him but and i never kind of like sat with it and thought about it before but this time um it really struck me like that he has to kind of go back to see how entrenched his family and his background really is in this world like what did they say that all the men in were the killed town from vendettas. Yeah, yeah were killed from vendettas and so it's like he it, it's it, it's not that he has no choice when he comes back because he always has a choice of course but it's like it just becomes like ingrained in him and after he shoots the people the police officer and the salazzo. So- 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 so? yeah mm-hmm. He does that that's obviously like his first like big move but then when he's there it's it just seems to like um solidify in him that like this is what he's gonna do and um and also that it was interesting to see like the wedding of um connie which is like this lavish affair with like a movie star shows up and <laughs> mm-hmm. um you know the whole family is, you know they're dancing and it's like really joyful and then michael's wedding in italy is very like Quiet and like everybody's just kind of sitting there and watch they watch them take their dance, but like no one else gets up and dances. <laughs> it's like really, really solemn. Um, it was just a really interesting
4: contrast, that like old world new world thing mm-hmm. so I didn't notice this the whole way through. But then <clears throat> after I we watched the movie and then I was reading some stuff about it. And one of the things that I read online was, every time something bad happens there's oranges and which mm. i'd never noticed yeah, before that's but, awesome. yeah but then i started rewatching it again and you know when vito gets gunned down he's buying oranges uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other ones, but that's only as far as with I made it with the oranges. On, <laughs>
0: when he dies. He has an orange. In when he
4: off. right, yep, there. Yeah. So now I want to finish my second watch, but keep an eye out for the oranges. And I don't know if there's some. I mean, there must be oranges. Been- at the, did you just say it was that the
3: waltz um table? Is that what you said, Jeremiah? When he goes to visit the 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 movie studio guy it's decorated no, i know horns. those are
0: there too but no, i was yeah. i said that he has one in his mouth when it when he's with his grandson oh right when oh, really he does that's, that's, right. that's, that's, right. that's yeah. right yeah well not to burst your bubble on that because i think that's one don't of the, then stop it's one of the best <laughs> things in the movies like one of those happy accidents that like it, it 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 does play out like that but apparently the the production designer um just thought that the sets looked drab and wanted a pop of color, and he always like oranges were his go-to trick. But I mean, I think in a movie like this, you're gonna have oranges around, and then somebody's gonna die anyway. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah.
3: I'll go with it. Yeah, I noticed how um, high James Con's shoulders were. I always thought that he had shoulder pads in that suit, but then when he wasn't wearing. <laughs> a shirt his shoulder pads were so high; like his shoulders were so hot that <laughs> I noticed that it was like unusual um and then I also noticed what an amazing dancer Marlon Brando was um, mm-hmm. in that scene where he dances with Connie yeah that's a beautiful scene was, like he was floating yeah he's really great in this movie
2: Marlon Brando sorry yeah. to, not to cut in, into anyone else's time but He's uh. No, he's, he's kind of good. He's kind of good. It's just like effortless. I mean, I know he's doing the like the the mouth thing, but his performance still just feels like so yeah. real.
4: Yeah. Anyway.
0: He's like an like a a, a corrupt Buddha, you know, with just like yeah. these these like soft spoken <laughs> wisdoms, you know. And um Stephen, did you have something mm-hmm. else you wanted to call out, or or stick with the the mother um, being alive?
1: It was. Well, well, that was one of the things. But it, it's funny, because I was looking at the Godfather logo, and I know it's supposed to be a cross. Um, but when they were talking about being puppet masters, I think that's what Vito was saying. I looked yeah. at it again, and I was like, that actually still could be a puppet. Like, it, because it, it is. It is. It's a marionette. Yeah. Oh, I thought marionette. it was a cross.
4: That's yeah. yeah. marionette. No, it's got strings oh, on it. Oh, OK. Yeah. I thought it was a
1: cross. I've so never thought
4: a... of it as a cross, so. Enough, oh, that's OK. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> OK.
1: <laughs> but that's what it made me think of, like, who's holding it? Who is he the puppet master or somebody else the puppet master and being part of the mob? Is like you're still on somebody else's string. You're always just question. dancing around for everything else. So I yeah. thought that was kind of interesting, because it never dawned on me. I thought it was a cross right. the whole time I've ever seen it. So <laughs> never yeah. mind. No, no that <laughs> was really, good.
3: That's the question, yeah. what you just yeah. kind of said, so.
0: One thing, like, I mean, I've noticed this every time I've watched the movie the last several times I've seen it, but like every scene in this movie to me is just borderline iconic, if not full on iconic. Like as it starts to happen, I'm like, oh yeah, this scene. Oh yeah, this scene. Oh yeah, this scene. There's no filler in this movie. (laughs) Um, But what what I'm going to call out is like this little small detail that I noticed when we watched it all the way through the other night and then... Uh, we came across this scene towards the end of her rewatching it earlier, um, when Michael goes to the hospital um, to to check on his father and finds that all the men are gone. And like right before he gets punched by the police captain, um, he goes into the hospital and there's this weird thing happening on the soundtrack. It, it just sounds like this odd, like experimental sound, and I think maybe it's supposed to be that like everybody's gone and the record is skipping but yes. it, it sounds like this crazy like artsy thing happening on, on the soundtrack and it, it's just like haunting sounding and mm. th- that really like captured me this time for some reason mm. so it's like even the small things in this movie are, are i've
3: effective. always remembered the sandwich
4: yes the half yes. eaten sandwich and pickle. just sitting there yeah. yes yeah it's just so... Yeah, spooky. nothing good happens when you find an abandoned yeah. sandwich. <laughs> and That's an orange.
0: <laughs> and an orange, yeah. Um. So, I don't know, did we already kind of answer this with these, or do, do you have other things? What are, what are your favorite scenes or moments or elements of the movie? Like, overall, not just from this viewing, it's not something you noticed, but, like, what is overall, from all the times you've seen it, your favorite thing about the movie?
3: The hospital scene. mm I mean, from the minute he's like, nurse, wait a minute, stay here, to the part where Enzo's like, for your father, for your father. And and the very um they try to make it, it almost appears like it's subtle after the car drives by and Enzo's hand's shaking and Michael's hand is completely calm and you think, wow, I noticed that. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. of course you notice that. It's 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 just it's it's exactly what you're supposed to notice. It's just Brilliant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's like the scene where you're where you realize he's not just the innocent college kid. Exactly. Right. Yeah. He really knows what this business is that Mm -hmm. he's stayed away Mm -hmm. from, supposedly.
4: And he tells Mm -hmm. his dad, because I was also gonna say, like, I just that the whole scene is so good. Like you're so tense. What's gonna happen? There's no one there. There's the sandwich. Like, I just think it's (laughs) so perfect. And but also, you know, before he goes outside with Enzo, he tells his dad, like, I'm with you now. I'm with you. And his dad gets this huge grin on his face, which it's like, dude, a you tier. just got in the tear. I know, and the tear. it's like, you just got shot like five or six times, whatever. And like, but obviously, like the fact that his son is now, you know, with him is filling him with such joy and emotion. And it, you know, I mean, it's the turning point for the movie. Like, all right, Michael's in now. So here we go.
1: Steven, how about you? um there's just several parts that i I really enjoyed but this time i really paid attention to the horse's head scene (laughs) um just because of the reveal like i i for some reason i just remembered him like pulling back the covers and seeing the head but the fact that he was like rolling around and you slowly see the blood and then he's just like what's going on and he just looks very confused and then he slowly pulls back the covers and then you see the the head it's just it's pretty jarring even though i was expecting to see it it's sort of like I hadn't seen it before just because mm-hmm. it was so visceral and you just knew what that meant. And if he could get in there to do that, then yeah, anything could happen. So that just really, and at the first part of the movie, that really cements who um, Don Corleone is. Yeah. Like he can reach anybody. I'm with you on that. Like every
0: time I've watched this movie, even though now I know it's coming, I remember mm-hmm. the first time I saw it and didn't know about the horse's head <laughs> in the bed and like seeing mm-hmm. the blood on him. I'm like, did they cut off his leg while he was asleep what the hell is happening right now what's going on it just makes no sense and i always like remember that first like Mm -hmm. confusion and almost uh nervousness for like about like what is about to happen yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's really good every time
3: what i what i noticed this time um was after he takes the cover off there's three screams or I think three screams and three cuts with each scream. Like Mm -hmm. it's the camera moves just a bit slightly Mm -hmm. and it's so effective and terrifying. It's just, yeah, that, that was incredible. Like each time it was this, it it was the first time it happened. It was, yeah. Horrifying. (laughs) I mean, I only started not close shutting my eyes to see that yeah. in in like my 20s like it, i knew what was coming you could just tell but um yeah there's a good 50 viewings where i would hide my eyes mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> alicia how about you
2: it's i can't pick a favorite but i i will just say one other thing that like i noticed this time that i hadn't really thought about before is like it's such a new york like movie like it's i mean obviously it takes place in new york but like the main the only like waspy character in it is k everyone else is like italian american or like irish american or even tom is like he calls himself german irish you know like there's nobody there that's just like i'm like from the pilgrim You <laughs> everybody is like some sort of hyphenate um and and i thought i think it's really interesting to see like i hope this doesn't sound like i'm I don't know, but um, it's, it was just interesting because, like in New York, you have like such a mix of people, and it's a city that's been built. The so much of the power here is held by people that are Italian American or Irish American. It's it's not a place where you have that sort of like traditional, like white Protestant like power structure. I mean, not that, that that that's. I mean, you can, you do in some maybe like on the Upper East Side or something, but like for the majority of the city, it's like a melting pot, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're not fucking I enjoyed- Boston. <laughs> What?
4: We're not fucking Boston, right?
2: Yeah, it's just it was. I mean, obviously, this movie doesn't represent everybody that that lives in New York, and all you know, the full tapestry. But like, it was cool. It's cool to like be in that be in that world, and not not too not thinking too much about like other than K. Like, what is what is the what does Franklin Delano Roosevelt think about this Mm. or something? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Although he's from New York too, I think. Yeah. New York state. Yeah.
0: He is. So. Um, I also can't really pick a favorite. I just like it all. So instead, I'm going to call out two moments that I saw when I was way too young when the movie was on in my house and I wasn't supposed to be watching, but I was like kind of lurking in the background as like my dad was watching. Uh, mm-hmm. and the movie traumatized me when Mo Green gets shot in the eye, and also when Sonny gets gunned down. I saw that too. Mm-hmm. And both of those, like, scared the shit out of me when I was, I don't know, probably five or six and accidentally witnessed them. Um, and they're still pretty effective today.
3: Brutal. Yeah. yeah. The Sonny assassination. Gosh.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, that's, yep. Um, that's top one. So, has the movie, as far as you're concerned, stood the test of time, or does everyone absolutely hate it and think it doesn't resonate at all today?
2: I think we can safely say that yeah. we all think it's <laughs> yeah. Sad. Yeah. Does yeah. anyone really have <laughs> yeah, much more yeah. to say? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Don't so much know. to pick apart. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it's foundational in so many ways, um, not just for for mob movies, um, but Agreed. for movies. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Definitely. so much mm-hmm. that's come after it builds on it and. It it was kind of a synthesis of so much of what came before it, too. Um, I and think that's what that's makes it so instantly you. classic, you know?
4: I was going to say, too, like, you know, Alicia, you were saying, like, it's like you have to watch this movie just to understand, like, things in sitcoms. And I just feel like yeah. there's yeah. so much mm-hmm. stuff that, yeah, when you watch it, even, you know, if you're seeing it for the first time, you're like, oh, that scene, that scene. Like, there's just so mm. much stuff that's in episodes of the simpsons or just in our you know who hasn't said in some joking way even if you didn't know where it came from that you're going to make someone an offer they can't refuse like it's just mm-hmm. it's part yep. of our culture at right. this point yeah um so even beyond movies and tv shows it's obviously so hugely influential
0: just talking about it i think that part of why it, it continues to be so resonant is that it was a period piece at the time so i, I think if they mm. had done that thing of making it be set in the sixties or seventies, I, I think that takes a power away from it and, and makes it less timeless and less of an instant classic because it's it's already sort of like dealing with the idea of America in a disconnected way that can translate further, I think, than if it was talking about the day in which it was made. Because I mean I love Dog Day Afternoon, I love Serpico. And so many 70s movies like Taxi Driver, but those movies all feel like so much of the moment and they're hard to disconnect from that time in a way that I think, like as great as they are, I think The Godfather is always going to be like a little above them because of that disconnect that it has built into its DNA. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think remarkably, they did make the 40s. Not look like the 70s, and that seems to be a lot of the traps that even movies today that are made that are period pieces mm-hmm. they do mm-hmm. look like they're of that time, even if it is supposed to be another time. But you look at this movie and it does look like it's the 40s and the 50s, you wouldn't think that they made right. it in the 70s. Yeah.
2: The only parallel like I can think of, the, the, I think it's the long goodbye, they made a 1970s version, yeah. and that's the only like filmed version of that novel, which takes place I think in like the late 40s or early 1950s. And it's, I, I, I hate it. Like, I just oh, can't stand to w- film? The one with Elliot Gould. Elliot Gold? Yeah. you hate yeah. that movie? I hate oh, I that movie. <laughs> I like that movie. I can't, I want to see it taking place in like the 50s. I, I don't want to see this like 1970s rumpled. Like... I think
3: that's a really interesting, I totally get what you're saying, but I, I think you'd have to, you have to abandon it. Uh, that, I can Yeah, I totally <laughs> That's a, I've I, tried. I I've watched it a couple I, times. I and... love the movie, but I get exactly why it's not what you ordered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From the menu. <laughs> Completely 100%.
1: <laughs>
0: so, our buddy JPK, who was on the show with us several weeks back, the first episode of this round of movies, actually, uh, to discuss the searchers, he came up with our bonus question this time around and it is what is your favorite movie soundtrack and within that he's including scores that was clarified by somebody who asked about it so we don't have to parse out what the difference between a score and a soundtrack is um so laura how about you what's your what's your favorite
3: um the my the soundtrack i chose was less than zero um Mm -hmm. the film 1987 and and it's a Def Jam recordings film. It's a controversial film. I saw it, it was very disturbing um, when I saw it. Jamie Gertz, Robert Downey Jr. It's based on the Brett Easton Ellis book that he hated. He hated the film version of it, but that, that soundtrack was really important to me.
0: Okay, and Mia?
4: Um, I freaking love the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. I have loved it for a long time. It always makes me so happy. Um, I just think it's so good and fun. Uh,
0: I think this is maybe the hardest question we've had because there's so many good soundtracks, even for bad movies. But I ultimately decided to answer Drive just because, like, when that movie movie came out, that soundtrack hit me real hard. And there were artists on it that I kind of knew about, but hadn't really listened to that intensely. And it made me like just seek out basically everything by those artists. So I, f- I feel like that one, on a music level, had more of an impact on me than scores normally do. But, and that film
3: had such such few words.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the music <laughs> does a lot of heavy lifting in that one. That's true. Yeah, it mm. really does.
1: Um, and Stephen, how about you? Um. Pulp Fiction that soundtrack was just it was like the the playlist when it came out I was in college and I think I had talked about this on previous podcasts I saw that movie when I was in Italy, and we all went in my class and we didn't know anything about the movie so it really stuck with me. So afterwards somebody actually did have the soundtrack that one of their friends had sent them, and it was in our common room we would listen to it and I think we just heard it all the time and I just love that movie because I love the way that they have. Just snippets of the dialogue, which I love on top of just the song choices that they made. It just really makes the movie. And every time I do watch it or I do listen to the soundtrack, I just it just puts me back and I just love it. Yeah. Um, Alicia.
2: Um, I chose Train Spotting. Uh that came out when I was like a freshman in college. And a lot of stuff about that movie, like still of course and McGregor but like besides that just like something about that movie like got into me like at the right time and I can't shake it <laughs> even if I wanted to um but like the soundtrack I just love that it covers like it goes from like early 80s post-punk all the way to like mid 90s electronica and sort of all the um pop and stuff in between and uh yeah I just really like that soundtrack a lot
0: um, so we also had a lot of great answers from the Facebook group, as usual. So we're going to take turns reading those. The first one is Rebecca, who said Romeo and Juliet, the 1996 version with Leo and Claire. Um, she said, I remember buying the tape at Sam Goody and listening to it so much, I wore it out.
4: That's a really good soundtrack. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Marie said singles, full-on 90s.
0: Well, full-on
4: Sure, full on 100 emoji, 90s red heart emoji. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry.
0: I, get those I can't then.
4: read. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> um, and
1: then Stephen, do you want to read the next one? Um, sure. Um, Charlie said Rushmore, and he also called out Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and Breakin'. I woke up this morning and thought, oh man, how did I not mention the Umbrellas of Sherberg? After that, I wondered what musicals count here. What are Weather musicals count here. Either way, I love everything about this movie, including the music. Everyone should watch it. Definitely my favorite soundtrack if an entire movie being sung counts as a soundtrack. I think it
0: does. Mm. Uh, And Alicia, do you want to read the next one?
1: Sure. Max
2: said, um, if Beale Street could talk, uh, he said, I thought this was maybe the most dizzyingly beautiful film score I've ever heard. Okay. Laura?
3: Chad says, so hard, so many. The Crow, Lost Highway, Natural Born Killers, Casino, Get Shorty, Desperado, The Social Network, Soul, Mank, Guardians of the Galaxy, I could go on and on. That's a lot. It Um, is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Elizabeth said Natural Born Killers, produced by Trent Reznor. Also, Baby Driver is spectacular.
1: I like that soundtrack.
4: And then Sid said A Clockwork Orange.
0: Yeah. And then I realized as I was prepping this episode the JPK hadn't actually answered his own question yet so I texted him uh, and he texted me back he said I'm having trouble making my mind up I knew this was going to (laughs) happen but he's going to go with Ratatouille Um, I'm so
3: surprised he put Ratatouille down yeah he
0: he said I could pick he said I could pick a thousand others but I really love this score
3: I thought I would have put money that it would have been the Muppet movie (laughs) true yeah i would have lost a 100 bucks
1: me too you and me both i totally would have lost that or popeye i know he loves popeye Uh, well
3: yeah i feel like he wouldn't have said popeye because he said it before
1: Mm, so you want
3: to like repeat yeah
0: yeah he he has integrity (laughs) (laughs) yeah um all right so our next episode will be a revisiting of our second round of movies so if anyone has any thoughts they want to share on The Searchers, The General, Bicycle Thieves, La Ventura, Mirror, or The Godfather, please let us know. And we'll also be picking our next round of movies. So tune in for that. And This was a
3: heavy bunch.
0: Yeah, it mm-hmm. was. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe we could like try to pick some fun ones. Are I'm, I'm going to make it a point
1: to do yeah. that I'm going to make a point to do well, that well you did that
0: this last time you, you okay. picked the general that's true um, that's true that I think fun. pick what you want to pick
4: you know we got to watch them all eventually
0: yeah um, so that's it for this episode of Stereoactive Movie Club we invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club You can also email us at StereoactiveMovieClub at gmail.com, or you can send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm slash StereoactiveMovieClub.
4: To the mattresses.
0: This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.